Welcome to Season 4 of the Unscripted Podcast, a podcast by medical students about living and learning at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. On the show, we host a variety of discussions such as navigating the preclinical and clinical years, exploring humanism in medicine, and developing our physician identities outside of the textbook. Check out the show notes or our website for more information, helpful links, resources, and more. Please connect with us via email or on Twitter at unscripted underscore med. We'd love to hear from you, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Unscripted Podcast. My name is Rachel, and I am joined on this episode today with my two friends, my two classmates, Nicole Bardakos and John Wilson. Hey, guys. Hi. I'm very happy to have you guys on the podcast today. And we are talking about away rotations. I think it is a source of angst for third years who may need to do an away rotation. So um, both of you guys have done away rotations in your respective specialties. And what better people to have on than people who have just gone through it. So um, we can go ahead and start with some introductions. Um, we can start with Nicole and just give your name, a little bit about yourself, what specialty um, you are applying to, what away rotations you did. And then we'll do a fun question of um, what is your all-time favorite hospital cafeteria food and where is this food located? All right. Well, thanks for having me. Super excited to finally come on the podcast and spread any, any knowledge that I may have. I don't know. We'll see, <laughs> um, help out anyone that, that needs it. Um, so my name is Nicole. I'm applying into emergency medicine. I'm a fourth year at, uh, university of Cincinnati here, obviously. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited for what's to come this, this upcoming application season with emergency. It's something that I've loved for a really long time. So really excited. And then in terms of my favorite cafeteria food, I'm a big chicken nugget fan. Like any sort of chicken tendies. <laughs> so in the back part of the, the UC cafeteria at the grill, um, I'll get my chicken tenders there, get my barbecue sauce. That's that's my go-to. It never fails for lunch if you have, if you just need something as a backup. I love it. I love it. I'm vegetarian, so I didn't know that that oh. option existed, but they sound delicious. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> and uh, John, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about yourself and your favorite cafeteria food. For sure. Uh, yeah. So my name is John Wilson. Um, also a fourth year here at uh, University of Cincinnati. Um, and I'm applying into ophthalmology. Uh, which I decided pretty late, actually, uh, in my third year. So excited to talk about that. Um, and I'm actually pretty passionate about hospital cafeteria food. Uh, chicken dinners aren't my favorite, but great deal here at the UC cafeteria for what you get, good price. Mark <laughs> Pies, best comfort food. And then I think Hidden Gem is the Rainbow Cafe over at Children's. Um, mm. Really high quality lunch food. And honestly, not not much further than the UC cafeteria. So some good recs there. Yeah. It's nice to get out into the fresh air, take a stroll to the rainbow cafeteria. I also love that, that hidden gem. I always forget that's an option. I should do that more often. Next time I'm back in the hospital, it'll be like four months. <laughs> I know. 
I know after a brief hiatus from the hospital, we'll have to <laughs> eat all of the foods and have a hospital feast. Oh, yeah. So this is a perfect episode to record with you guys because I personally am applying MedPeds, which does not require away rotations. And I have conveniently not thought about anything related to away rotations. So I get to kind of provide the perspective of a novice when it comes to away rotations. Um, so I know you guys have both done one away rotation. Yes. Yes, I've done one. Okay. So I figured that we can just go ahead and kind of start from the very beginning. Um, Why should someone do an away rotation? Um, I can start off because for emergency medicine, at least it's a pretty easy answer. It's pretty much universally required if you're applying into emergency medicine to do at least one rotation. Um, And that's because at the end of the rotation, you get what's called a standard letter of evaluation or a slow. Um, that is required to apply into emergency medicine for residency. And we can talk more about the slow later. Um, but that it's, yeah, it's as simple as that for emergency. <laughs> you got to do one. Yeah, I think my experience was a bit different and maybe more um, what like the rest of specialties go through, where it's very optional for ophthalmology, um, whether you want to apply in dual ways or not. I think uh, the benefits and why I wanted to do it uh, like simple, simply put, it's a chance for the program to get to know you and then you get you to get to know the program at the same time. So I think especially, um, from the perspective of like me getting to see the program, I think with like, uh, with a lot of online, um, interviews now, I think it will be harder to tell, you know, what program's a good fit. So if you're really interested in a program, I think it's a good chance to like get to know residents and get to know the culture better. And then on the flip side, and what may be more important is if you're really interested in a program, um, it's a good chance if they accept you for the away, then they get, I mean, you spend a, a month there. So they get to know you uh, and who you are as a person. And it's a chance to like for them to, you know, get to know how you act on a day-to-day basis, what your personality is like, what your interests are, just kind of like a prolonged interview, really. Yeah, that sounds stressful. <laughs> It is is a little stressful for sure. Yeah. I can imagine that if you have a particular interest in a geographic area, then it's very beneficial or a particular program for other various reasons. And it's very beneficial to kind of try out for a month and really get to know them. So Nicole, you kind of mentioned, you know, emergency medicine requires, is it one slow that it requires? So every, so having just gone through applications and submitting everything, I never saw on a website requiring more than one slow. Some programs don't require slow. However, it's highly recommended that you do have one. Um, But anything beyond one is optional to my knowledge. Are either of you familiar with the most common specialties that do require a slow? So to my knowledge, um, I think Mm OB-GYN has to do one or it's very common for them to do one. And then your very competitive surgical subspecialties like orthopedics, plastics. Um, I know people who have been on away rotations for the past three to four months for those. Um, And that's because of the nature of how competitive it is. You need to get to know as many programs and vice versa. You want, you want to have that one month of FaceTime with a program. So in general, who should do an away rotation? Yeah, I think that away rotations 
kind of what Nicole was hinting at is uh, very specialty specific. We've already kind of hit on it, right? Like you aren't doing away rotations. Uh, and I think ophthalmology is really on the border. There are, pro- there are a lot of people who aren't doing away rotations in ophthalmology. Um, and I think honestly, the best idea is to talk to your advisor uh, and ask, you know, in general, does your specialty do away rotations? And then on top of that, I think um, it's a very like person by person decision on what you're reasoning uh, behind wanting to do the away rotation. Do you have a specific place you're looking at or are you just trying to cast a wide net? Um, and unfortunately, it's it's such a personal decision. It's hard to say like if you're in this specialty, you need to be doing away rotations. Yeah, I will say for emergency, it was kind of nice not having to make the decision to do one or not. I mean, deciding where to go and where to apply is, you know, a whole other conversation we can get into, but just having to do one, it was nice to not have to think about that too hard. So for someone who thinks that they might be interested in a specialty that might require a ways, or if their overall um, residency application would benefit from doing in a way, when do you start thinking about doing in a way and kind of what are those first steps? So I started thinking about away rotations pretty much right around when the new year rolled around. So around January, and this coincided at least with Cincinnati's, um, you know, preparing for M4 class-wide meetings that they would hold. They started planting those seeds, sending out emails with how to sign up for VSLOW and whatnot. So it was very much on the radar. Um, And around that time was also when specialty specific advising started to pop up, if I remember correctly. So in meetings with advisors as well, they would also, you know, tell you, hey, start thinking about this. Um, But really, it wasn't until March, at least for me, for emergency medicine, when applications really started to open up and I had to worry about it. Yeah. And honestly, I think of the whole talk, I think this is the most important point is that you really should be looking at them early. And that's stressful to hear. But I think just like you said about New Year's, uh, like when you come back to school after the New Year's, um, it's a really good time to try to get logged in. And you don't really have to do anything at that point, except for come up with like a couple schools that you know you're interested in and go on VSLOW and just see when their application opens. Um, Aways, from my experience, aways do not always go to the people who have like absurd applications, but it goes to, they give them out, like when they open, from my understanding is they will start accepting people and looking at applications on that first day. So like being able to submit your application as soon as the application opens is I, what I would say is probably the biggest takeaway from this conversation. And so if you just in January, February, like go on, look at the schools you're interested in and see when the application opens, it takes a lot of stress off me, like where you have to like, think about it all the time. Like you have a date, uh, you have plenty of time to get, you know, the stuff you need turned in. Um, but knowing that date's important. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And starting to prepare what, like anticipating what you will need to apply is also very helpful because in the moment, like that whole month of March, I probably over applied to the number of programs. I probably didn't need to apply as broadly as I did. 
Um, so that carried a little bit extra stress having to write like various little mini personal statements, like 500 characters or a few paragraphs, nothing crazy, but just the number was a little bit stressful. But if you have your core amount of requirements, such as an updated CV, um, so making sure that is updated, that's going to take a lot of time and stress off of your plate, making sure you have your immunization form for when you applied to medical school and making sure that that's up to date or, you, you know, that you have your flu shot, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. and then like headshots, a PDF of your step, um, for us, it was a step score. I'm sure moving forward, it'll be a step one, like completion that you passed. Um, and then other little certificates that you'll just save to your computer when you are looking up programs and see the requirements. And then from there, it's just as easy as uploading it to be slow and clicking it when you need to apply. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that sometime in spring of M3 year, you should start looking at what programs you're interested in and what their requirements and their deadlines are. Does it vary by program? Yes. The applications are different per program. A lot of them have similar bases, similar bones, like what Nicole is saying with the most required CV step in immunization. You can go on to VSLOW. So most of the um, programs that you look at, if you go on VSLOW, they'll have the date that it opens and then they'll actually have their uh, application requirements. So some like really important ones to know, I, this almost cost me the way I really wanted to go to. So this is why I'm like, if, if I knew this earlier, it would have been very helpful. Um, but things like having an up-to-date like urine drug screen, um, which takes took like three weeks for me to like, get an appointment, get in, do it and get it back. Um, having a, um, up-to-date background check, which thankfully if you rotate at children's within like six months, they, they have an up-to-date background check for you. So they actually had one. If I hadn't been at children's for psychiatry, I think that, uh, that would have taken like a month to get back. So these are things um, that if you go onto VSLOW at the specific program, they'll have a drop down. Almost all the programs have it, a drop down of what you'll need on the day you can submit your application. And that's a, a nice checklist to find and try to check off before that date. That's great. We've talked about it a little bit, but what exactly is VSLOW? VSLOW is just like, uh, it's just the application portal. So I don't know, similar to the common, I guess it was called the common app for med school. I don't even remember anymore Mm -hmm. uh, where you could go on. And there was one hub, a central hub where you can put your information in and then sort of like see all the programs you can apply to and click the ones that you want and see their requirements. It's sort of just like the central application. It is through AAMC. So I didn't have to make an account because I had it from medical school. You just needed the token from your medical school to get into the specific VSLOW headquarters on the website. Gotcha. Okay. And I know that they give us our token for um, ERAS or AAMC token at the beginning or near the beginning of third year so that you can start uploading letters of recommendation that you've collected over the course of third year. So you take that token, prepare your application via VSLOW, and then submit to the different programs depending on when their application deadlines are. Mm-hmm. And just to tie this conversation back to, to timing and when to start preparing, I remember as soon as 2022 rolled around the beginning of the year, I was like researching all these programs, trying to find them, and nothing was updated yet. 
Um, it wasn't really until like mid January when programs now had their updated calendar for the upcoming year, when they would be taking them, what the, what the timelines were. Um, Cause not everyone is on the same exact schedule as your home institution. So some were, you know, offset by one, two, three weeks. Um, so that, you know, you had to take into account for planning and whatnot. Um, and yeah, it was all, like March 1st, I think was the earliest that things started opening up for being able to submit. So Nicole, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you applied probably too broadly to your programs. What exactly did you mean by that? And how many programs should someone apply to? I think it's, it's pretty um, individualized. Like John said, getting in a way rotation through VSLOW isn't nearly as dependent on your quote unquote competitiveness. A lot has to do with timing because it is on a rolling basis. Um, so if you're applying later, maybe you would need to apply broader because it's less likely that there's open spots left, at least for maybe more competitive or desirable programs or programs that don't have as many spots for medical students visiting. Um, so that's one, I would say, um, two, I think it really depends on like location wise where you want to be. I'm from California. So being out here in Cincinnati, I was really passionate about reestablishing kind of my California West Coast roots. Um, And those programs are classically more competitive because a lot of people want to be there and there's a lot of medical students in California. So I applied to a lot of those. Um, I also applied more broadly because um, it wasn't until later on when the, the higher powers that be for emergency medicine in terms of like the residency organizations Um, they put out a joint statement saying for this year, we're highly recommending you only do one away rotation, unless you have any sort of extenuating circumstance where you can do more. Um, so I went from planning to do maybe two to only doing one. Um, and because a lot of the programs schedules are not all fully aligned with ours, I wanted to make sure I had a bunch of different combination options, which ended up not needing, you know, not being the case because I only did one. Yeah. And to add to that, I think it's, again, an intricate question. Uh, and I think you should try to have personal conversations with men, like a mentor or a couple older, didn't have to be a mentor, a couple older students have been through it. If you can, my experience was, uh, my fiance is, uh, in St. Louis, uh, as a current intern. So I knew I wanted to go to St. Louis. So essentially I was just I like was hyper-focused on trying to get to Wash U and St. Louis and uh, St. Louis University um, for my two ways. And so I've done one. I'm going to do the other one uh, next week. I start at an, I still have another away rotation. Um, and so I think it was nice from my perspective to have those two really focus on those two and show my interest in them and have like a very nice personal, personal statement. Um, but I shied away from you. Do have to be careful, I think, of applying to too many Because when you get accepted, there was one, I applied to a third as sort of a safety option. And I ended up, I ended up telling them like, I wasn't going to come. And I think Nicole's situation is very different, I think, but I do think you have to be careful about applying to a ton. And then these places offer you a spot as an away student. You tell them you don't actually want to come. And then it's like, okay, well, when interviews come back around, is that something they take into account? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, but I, you know, I would be cautious of applying to, you know, 60 programs for an away rotation. 
Oh yeah. That's way too much. I think I did yeah. like 12 and had, yeah. luckily I had, you know, some to choose from and had to turn down some. And, um, that's a great point you bring up John, cause I kind of forgot about that. Luckily for emergency, it's a little bit more casual of a, of a culture. So as long as you, you're very professional over email and you're clearly communicating and you have a good reason why you couldn't go. Like I had to drop one that I was planning to do as my second once that statement was put out. So I just emailed them and said, Hey, like, I'm, you know, very sorry. I was really looking forward to this, but given that I only can do one, like this works best with my schedule, yada, yada, whatever. Um, but I know other, um, specialties, if you get one, it's, it looks very bad if you deny it. Um, at least what I've heard through the grapevine. So, um, being aware of that is, is important. Yeah. Those are all really good points and something I probably wouldn't have thought about. Um, it kind of leads me into my next question. What does the acceptance process look like as a general overview? My experience was you would, so some of them actually didn't went to my junk mail through VSlow. It was very weird. So make sure you're checking your email regularly. Um, typically you'll get the notification via VSlow, like in your email, um, saying that you've been accepted for, you know, certain date timeline at this program. Um, the standard for VSlow is that you have seven days to accept or deny. And once you accept, then it's program dependent on what your timeline is and what any other documents you need to complete and submit. Um, for where I ended up doing my rotation, I kind of had to repeat a lot of the, the paperwork that I had submitted for VSLO. I had to um, resend directly to their office. There was further medical clearances that I needed to do, et cetera. And um, as long as I got those done by the time I showed up in August for my rotation, it was fine. Um, there were some things that maybe were a little bit more time pressing. I can't quite remember, but um, yeah, after you accept, it's kind of from there, you're communicating directly with the program, what they need. I think that's, that pretty much covers it. I guess the one thing is you're applying to these programs for a specific set month range. So like, for instance, I could apply to St. Louis University ophthalmology way rotation for the month of August, the month of September, the month of October, and the month of November. And so you just apply to the dates that might fit your calendar. So it can get really tricky, right? If you apply to a couple, it's like, okay, I applied to this one in August, this one in September. But if I accept this one in September, then I can't accept this other one in September. So it's just, it can be very intricate. So I think, again, simplifying like a couple programs that you're really interested in and prioritizing like those programs and those dates. I, that was helpful for me. That's a really good point. Does all of this happen prior to like scheduling your fourth year? For those of you who are listening, John is shaking his head. <laughs> this is an audio format. <laughs> That's a, I'm not, not a professional podcaster. The, uh, the, as far Nicole, correct me if I'm remembering wrong. I had a, I set my fourth year schedule where I had rotations in the fall that weren't like essential. And then actually one of them was pretty important to me, uh, but the, once I got accepted to the away, I had to drop a couple classes in the fall and then try to add them back in the spring. If I, if I really needed that credit. Yeah, that sounds about right. I had a massive Excel with all of the dates going for all of fourth year. Oh, it was a mess. It was so OCD. It was, um, 
I don't want anyone to ever see it. And this is when I was planning on doing two also. So I had all of the programs I applied to with all of the, the dates of each program that I applied to. And they were all, you know, either within our school schedule or offset by a little bit. And I had like all of the electives I wanted to take in the fall or like every single possible combination. It was, it was madness. Um, it was stressful. I probably made it a little bit more stressful than it needed to be, but, um, we had our fourth year, you know, scheduling open up. I can't remember when, but I had the core of my schedule set, but everything was a moving piece in terms of, you know, July to September, maybe even October. Um, because I wasn't sure when I would get my away acceptances, if I would get the program I wanted in, you know, July or August or September. It, yeah. <laughs> You had to be flexible. Yeah. A word of like relaxation though. Fourth year schedule, there's so much extra time built in. I drop classes. I'm still ended up. I have like a two week break between my ways. I still have plenty of like off time in the spring. So there's plenty of flexibility in your fourth year schedule to make them fit. Absolutely. Do not be like me. Don't stress about it because it works out. And then you're just chilling in fourth year and it's great. I love that you guys are finding time to still, you know, have self-care and chill between intense rotations. That's important. Okay, maybe we can shift gears into talking about preparing for the rotation itself and kind of what to expect going through the actual rotation. Um, So when you were preparing to leave Cincinnati, fly the nest and you know, go do these rotations elsewhere. What kinds of things did you have to plan or think about? Okay. So I think a couple good things is one is try to make sure this is the advice I got. Try to make sure all the, um, like official onboarding paperwork and like trainings were done for the institution you're going to. They usually, they send it to me like a week or two before, and that's not something that you want to have to deal with when you're starting your first week. The first week is was so stressful for me, and I'm sure it will be next week when I start again. Uh, but like having that paperwork is really nice. As far as um, housing goes, most people from what I've heard just end up renting an Airbnb for a month. I felt, I mean, I was lucky going to St. Louis with my fiance. I had a leg up, so my expenses were cheaper um, and easier to find. Um, another thing to note is it's kind of nice if you have a car, uh, like at my rotation, uh, I was able to take a car and, and I could go to like the offsite, um, hospitals when some of the other students couldn't, which I thought was nice. I know that won't be true everywhere, but something to think about. Yeah. In terms of prep, making sure you have everything square away before you get there is super important. Make sure that, you know, email is, clear and open that if you have any outstanding questions or something is super confusing, just ask the clerkship director. They're you know used to working with medical students, especially visiting medical students. Um, so ask any questions that you have. Um, make sure you know where you need to be the first day, when the orientation is, etc. Another good thing is to ask or if if there's anywhere online, um, figure out if there's going to be an interview at the end of your away rotation. Um, because of, you know, still COVID protocol extending into this year and affecting at least interviews for emergency medicine. So being all virtual, um, I had one at the end of my away rotation and it was virtual to keep in line with that format. Um, but knowing that I was able to bring, um, like a nicer top, a suit jacket, which I luckily didn't actually need to wear, but, um, I was prepared, um, for that 
interview at the end in terms of attire. So making sure that you have that, you don't have to ship it last minute. That would be an extra stressor. Um, in terms of lodging, I had a friend at the medical school that I did a away rotation at from pre-med years. So I was able luckily to get in contact with them and they had some med school friends who were looking to sublease because they were going off on away rotation. So I was able to sublease from another medical student, um, which again is not as common of a scenario from what I've heard from other people doing rotations, but it worked out pretty well. Um, there's lots of room sharing and some form of medical student, you know, room sharing, group me, Facebook. I'm sure there's something that exists that if you can get your hands on an avenue that way. Yeah, that's very helpful. I was going to ask if there's, um, you know, some helpful resource that, you know, you can use to help find lodging, but I would imagine that it's a very specific thing per the institution that you're rotating at. Um, I did want to ask Nicole, you brought up a really good point. Uh, something that confused me when you texted me about it, um, was the fact that you had an, like an exit interview or an interview near the end of your away rotation. I don't know, John, if you had that, but what exactly is this interview? Is it important? So I'm pretty sure that was my residency interview with the program. So (laughs) I think it was important. (laughs) I still applied to that program through ERAS for residency, but I don't think they will extend me another interview. I think that was my shot. Mm. Um, And because there were a lot of um, medical students on the rotation with me, it was a pretty big program. So we all interviewed um, and it was, it was a, this is me guessing. I'm not sure what the real interview day looks like, obviously, but um, I think it was maybe a little bit abbreviated because they had already known us or we knew a little bit more about the program. There was still an hour of formal presentation and then two 30 minute interviews with a senior medical or senior resident or faculty after. So it was, it was pretty much a residency interview. Um, I think it varies across programs, how formal or informal it is. um, And if they do them at all, but that was my case. John, did you have an interview at the end of yours? Um, I did not. Um, And it is interesting. If you can find out, it's actually really helpful information. Uh, Some ways they'll guarantee they'll, you'll do the interview there, uh, like at the end of the rotation, the residency interview. Um, Some ways will guarantee, essentially they guarantee you a residency interview if you do the away rotation. And then, um, it would be nice to know. I don't know how you could figure this out beforehand, but if, uh, I think if a program doesn't really always interview their away rotators or like, you know, rarely, rarely does, or like 50, 50, I would, I would be a little cautious about spending a month of your time. And like, it's a hard month and you work really hard and it's a very expensive month too. And the end goal really is to get an interview. So, you know, that would be another reason to rotate at one program or another, if you could figure that out. And then that, that isn't easy information to get. Mm-hmm. I will do a quick plug for emergency. I know it's very specific and not everyone is doing emergency, but Emra Match, um, the website Emra Match has a big map of all the residency programs. There's also a medical student tab for all the away rotations. Um, and that is actually where I figured out that my program was offering or that they, it is standard, standard for them to interview every single way rotator at the end of the month. Um, it wasn't fully up to date with COVID and stuff being online. Um, so I just reached out to the program director and asked and they updated me. 
Um, so it was pretty simple once I've had the information to, I knew who to ask and what more to ask about. Yeah, that's really cool. I think of doing an interview at this moment in time or like at the end of my acting internship where I am. And it just like gives me chills, both in a good way and a bad way, <laughs> which I'm, right, right. induces a little bit of anxiety, <laughs> 100%. Mm-hmm. but I'm sure that you killed it, Nicole. As far as, you know, how to prepare for an away rotation, like mentally more so, less of the like logistics I need to have all my paperwork on hand, but more so, you know, how do you do, how do you prepare to do well on an away rotation? Oh, let's see how, how to mentally prepare yourself to do well on away rotation. I think first being confident that your medical school training up to that point and your, your home rotation at your home institution has prepared you well and that you have a good foundation going forward. Um, with the mindset though, that there's still so much to, to learn about and to grow from. Um, so going in open-minded being, being yourself, but being above all else, not that you're not social and polite, but like be a good social person, be extra polite, be nice to everyone you cross paths with. It, it really is a month long interview and making sure that you're on all the time, which can be daunting and can be stressful. So making sure that, you know, you have your support system at home to talk to. Um, I was on a different time zone from Cincinnati. So making sure I was able to like schedule time with my friends on their away rotations and their home institution rotations, like trying to find time just to to relax and talk and debrief with people. Um, Talking with my parents was important to me. Um, All of that good stuff. Just making sure that at the end of the day, like after a stressful shift in the ER, you know, you're really trying to to work hard and do well um, that you have relaxing de-stress time as well. It's not all stressful, but it can be over the course of a month cumulative. Yeah. And to go off that, I think this is a great question. This question tormented me before my last away. Like, you know, what else could I be doing to be prepared to be successful? Um, I think honestly, biggest like concrete thing is try to do your AI or rotation home rotation before you go. A lot of people will get you that advice. Um, but doing my like home ophthalmology eyes for the month before uh, gave me like a good found, a better foundation to, you know, like see a patient and not sound really dumb with like my differential or whatever. Um, or like trying to do the slit lamp. I wasn't, you know, completely (laughs) terrible at it. Um, I think the other thing, like just to take confidence in is we are professional medical students at this point. Like you have been in the uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. You have rotated, you've shown up to surgery day one on like transplant surgery, (laughs) for morning rounds and had no idea what was going on and you survived. And I'm sure by the end of the rotation, you know, you got to know people and you knew a little bit more what you're talking about. And this really was like a very similar experience where just show up and like my best advice is just be engaged, be easy to get along with, just be excited to be there. You're a student. You're not there to show everyone how much, you know, like if you knew it all, you would be the right, like the attending. You're there, you know, just be willing to learn, be willing to ask questions appropriately um, and just be like easy to get to get to know and get along with. I think that will take you a much longer way 
Granted, I just did an oil rotation. Who knows how it went? But personally, I think that's going to get you a lot further than like trying to show up the resident because you know the three steps of this pathway and they don't, right? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. John, you're always like accumulating ever all the thoughts that are swirling around in my head. You just put it perfectly. I'm like, <laughs> I oh just, yeah, like, I have something to go off of that. Yeah, I make you <laughs> talk first and then I just like try to think of, you know, how I can. Then you I, just say it more eloquently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah just... no, but, but seriously though, John hit the nail on the head. Like you, you were still a student and this is something that I struggled with both on my, my home AI and sure. a little bit less on my away rotation, but um, cause I had already gone through it on my home AI, but we're still learning. There's such an emphasis on in emergency medicine on your AI to, to take ownership of your patient. Um, and to really be the point person on their case. And so for me, I would struggle with that translating into, well, I need to know everything. I need to do everything perfectly, but that's not the expectation. It's, are you a good learner? Do you learn from your mistakes? Um, do you ask questions when you need help? Do you know when, you know, when to ask for help? Um, so taking those skills from your home AI, learning more about yourself, what do I need to work on? reflecting on what you do well, what you do, or what you could improve on and taking that into your next shift and improving from there is doing that on your home rotations can be super important. And then getting along with the residents, getting along with your co-rotators as well. Like it's not a competition. People can sniff out if you're trying to one up people and you're, you know, putting yourself against them. It's all about teamwork, especially in the ER. Oh my gosh, it's team sport. So um, really just being a good learner, being a good person and trying your best. That's all you can ask for. I think that all of what you guys just said is wonderful advice. I heard it said that in interviews, I think was the context, but in interviews, you should be yourself, but you should also be like the best version of yourself. And I feel like that's kind of what I'm hearing as far as, you know, the attitude to take into each day on your away rotation. I also love the advice that you know, you're still a learner. I think that there's like this assumption as you transition from M3 to M4 year that like now you are the more senior medical student on a team. And so you are supposed to know everything that your interns or that your senior resident or that you're attending knows. But in reality, we're still learning and that's our primary job. And it's honestly a lot better to learn in your fourth year because you don't have the weight of evaluations hanging over your head for yeah. typical rotations, maybe not the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think having that like growth mindset and, you know, t making learning your number one priority is, you know, very solid advice. So I appreciate you guys voicing that. Um, so kind of fast forwarding to the end of a, away rotation and, you know, you have your, maybe you have an exit interview, maybe you don't, but you know, how do aways play in your ranking programs at the end of interview season? Well, I think it <clears throat> plays in from one sense of hopefully you can earn an interview from your away. So that gets you anywhere from one to three interviews that you wouldn't have already had. Um, <clears throat> so that's one to three more schools that you can rank on your rank list, right? Um, I think the other benefit is you see the program firsthand. So you know what you're ranking. <clears throat> I would feel like, I feel like just as confidently that wash, wash use the away I've already done. I'm yet to do St. Louis, but 
for me moving forward, like if I get to rank WashU and I get to rank University of Cincinnati, like those are the two rotations. I felt like, you know, I know the residents, I know the attendings, I know the program and the training I'm going to get. And then if, you know, if I get a random interview and I, I spend an interview day there, <clears throat> then you just don't have the perspective of like what that program's culture is really about. So it just makes it, it, it provides clarity for the ranking of those programs when it comes time to rank them, whether you like the culture that you were part of for that month or not. Yeah, definitely. I think it really depends on what specialty you're going into and where you rotate and what your experience is like there. Emergency is so varied. You have three-year programs and you have four-year programs. You have academic, county, rural, and community programs. There's so much variation. And one of the great things, and honestly, why I think they make you do an away rotation is because you need to get outside of your home institution to see what else there is. Um, so going to a different region of the country, a different type of program, um, potentially different length of program, three versus four years, it really helps inform like your view on a, all the different residency options going into interview season um, and having really good, like insightful reflections with yourself about like, what did I like about my away rotation? What didn't I like about my away rotation? How was it different from my home institution? Um, those are things that at least I might have to talk about during my, along the interview trail. Um, so making sure that you've you really like, kind of like looked inside <laughs> to just figure out like, what do I want out of, in a, out of a residency program and what am I looking for? Um, what best fits my personality, um, and my learning style, et cetera, what you want out of your future career. That's super important. So in, in terms of how I'll rank, I mean, it's hard to say I haven't interviewed anywhere else yet. Um, but going off of what John said, it would be hard to rank a different program that I haven't gotten to see as in depth, um, as one, you know, that you've rotated for, for a whole month. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you guys for that. So kind of wrapping up the episode, um, you guys have spoken a lot about away rotations and I appreciate all of your wise insight into the process and how to prepare. Um, do you have any resources that you'd like to share, whether that is the logistics of scheduling in a way or, you know, advice on how to do well or apps that you found useful, literally any resources that you'd like to plug? I have a resource. I think it's hilarious that me and Nicole are doing this together because in the spring, I texted Nicole probably like, five to 10 times, like freaking out, what am I supposed to do for this away? And every time she <laughs> answered me. So all of any wisdom I imparted today was secondary to Nicole telling me. <laughs> uh, and finally, she just texted me and was like, hey, if you go on a med one stop to the, I think it's like the match tab, there's a VSLOW frequent, frequently asked questions. And it is absolute gold. And you should just if you're doing in a way, just sit down and read it first and then look at the application because it answers a lot of very difficult questions like where can I find my background check information and things like that that you don't even know you're asking yet. Uh, it's all there. So that's very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my advisor was super, super helpful as well for any, you know, just larger institutional stuff or VSLO specific stuff. Um, 
in terms of emergency medicine, because I love emergency medicine and that's what I'm doing. And I just keep talking about it. Um, the EM clerkship podcast was great. The very first two episodes ever published, um, are, I think it's maybe two or three. It's a very multi-part, um, podcast episode breaking down essentially how to be a rock star EM student on their clerkship on their fourth year clerkship AI. Um, and I wish I re-listened to it honestly, because I had a month between my home institution and my away. And I feel like I kind of maybe got a little bit too relaxed or (laughs) kind of forgot some of the tips. Um, so that was super, super helpful. And then EM specific apps I have on my phone, um, not necessarily EM specific, but MD Cal comes in handy a lot. Um, so having that just right at your fingertips as well as wiki, wiki EM, wiki EM, I think there's a second I in there, um, also has really good, um, just bullet point summaries, layouts of differential diagnoses and chief common, common chief complaints. So whenever I was stuck just on a shift, I would quickly look that up like run to the bathroom be like oh no what do I do about what do I do with this eye complete John I scare me (laughs) yeah that's awesome I love in in general I love emergency medicine resources I feel like they're always structured so well and they provide good differentials and I find them to be very useful and I'm not even going into emergency medicine so We will be sure to link all of those resources in the show notes. And um, yeah, that's really all I have for you. Nicole and John, do you guys have any last minute thoughts, pieces of advice, last words of wisdom? It all works out in the end. Don't stress out like me. It'll be fine. Yeah, no, no more wisdom for me. I'm all out, but thanks for having us. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. All right. Thanks, guys.